Hello and welcome to Meandering with Myrn, a potpourri of podcast by me, veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. Join me as I ponder any and all things animal and human, what we know and what we don't, where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. What does normalizing the bond in abnormal times mean? Beats me. Back when the COVID-19 quarantine started, the answers seemed obvious. Many people were working from home or changing their routines for other reasons. Others were dealing with illness in themselves or loved ones. Still others were coping with financial hardships. Some of them were trying to cope with all of the above. All of these changes had the potential to alter animal as well as human behavior and also the quality of the human-animal bond. At that time, it also seemed obvious that any increased human-animal interaction during this period could alter animal behavior for better or worse. Problem animal behaviors that only occurred in their owner's absence wouldn't occur when those people were staying at home. That seemed like a win-win situation for human and animal alike. On the other hand, animals who routinely found their people's presence stressful for some reason were more stressed when their people were home more. In these situations, the animals relied on their time alone to get the quality sleep they needed to cope. When that wasn't possible, their behavior and bond with their owners deteriorated. In both cases, though, it made sense for people to focus on interacting with their animals in a manner during the quarantine that would enable their animals to make a smooth transition when life returned to normal. Back then, I truly believed that I had a good grasp of what that normal would be. I saw it as a return to the pre-COVID work and school schedules. However, as the situation unfolded, it became increasingly clear that things aren't going to return to pre-COVID-19 normal for multiple reasons. Millions of lives have been irrevocably changed directly and indirectly by illness and the loss of loved ones, friends, or colleagues. A complex disease and resulting pandemic became politicized by individuals who knew little or nothing about either one. Once reliable government sources of information became suspect, the news media became even more so. Social media often didn't register on the credibility scale at all. Those opting for the fear-fight response appeared at all levels of society, thrilling some with their passion and impulsivity and horrifying others with their lack of critical thinking skills. On a more practical level, 
The telecommuting option that many employers had rejected for years suddenly gained credibility. Contrary to popular business belief, many workers could be trusted to work from home and could do their jobs just as well and sometimes better. However, in order to do that, employees would require a different kind of management and support. Teachers at all levels had to rethink how they taught and students had to rethink how they learned. In a relatively short period of time, concepts such as self-reinforcement and self-control long ignored in an era of other reinforcement seem more doable for more people. Out of necessity, if nothing else. Meanwhile, others fell apart. Regardless whether we perceive these and other changes in a positive or negative light, they and countless others will contribute to our ideas of a post-COVID-19 normal. I'm sure your list will include things that I forgot or that have special meaning for you. For pessimists, the idea of creating a normal human-animal bond out of all of that chaos seems impossible. But I'm not buying it. A solid bilateral human-companion-animal bond is highly resilient and ready to see us through good times and bads. It's our changing perception of the bond and its function that gets us into trouble. Unfortunately, since people began studying the effects of the human-animal bond more than a century ago, our view of it has become increasingly anthropocentric. Instead of wanting to know how we and animals influence each other's physical, emotional, and mental well-being, The focus has shifted to finding the answer to the question, what can these animals do for us? An article in the June 2020 Anthrozoas, a journal that publishes multidisciplinary studies of human-animal interactions, brought this home to me. When individual studies reach sufficient numbers, it's possible to do a meta-analysis of their results. By systematically comparing comparable data from multiple studies that address the same topic, a meta-analysis can determine trends regarding what findings hold up and which ones don't. Meta-analyses also may reveal any flaws in the overall study design. In a meta-analysis of studies of the effects of dogs on learning in elementary, middle, and high school students, the meta-analysis concluded that dogs' presence did benefit student learning. The effect on students' social learning was greatest, followed by emotional and behavioral learning, and then reading ability. 
However, one critical question those conducting the meta-analysis wanted to answer regarding the canine effects on learning remained unanswered. That question was, what are the impacts of the dog's characteristics on the effects of student learning? A majority of the studies evaluated in the meta-analysis involve dogs whose gender, size, class experience, or role in the classroom wasn't reported, let alone those other canine qualities that might trigger social, emotional, and behavioral learning and the improvement of reading skills. Comments made by the teachers who used these animals indicate that the teachers had access to this information, knew its value, and used it in their canine selection process. What we don't know is why those studying the benefits of dogs in the classroom didn't include this data in their studies. This also helps explain why it's difficult to create and maintain a quality bilateral bond with an animal in abnormal times. In an attempt to make sense out of a seemingly infinite number of variables in our lives at this time, we fall victim to the same egocentric view of the bond that the researchers did. We reduce it to the answer to the question, what can this animal do for me? We focus on ourselves to simplify our lives. We reduce the bond to a human-animal interaction. But all is not lost. We can create a bilateral, equitable bond with our animals that survives normal, abnormal, and abnormally normal times. Like those teachers with those learning dogs and their students, we can recognize what our animals can and cannot do. And we can recognize what we ourselves can and cannot do. And we can change together as needed to succeed in an ever-changing world. You've been listening to a podcast by veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. For more podcasts, commentaries, and books about animal behavior and the human-animal bond, and links to behavior and bond sites, check out my website at www.mmilani.com. For more specific information, feel free to email me at mm@mmilani.com. All rights related to the content of this podcast are retained by Myrna Milani. The background music, Molly on the Shore by Percy Granger, is used with permission from Katova Arts, www.katova.com.